Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 2010 film Get Low. So let's step into Baird Fisher's Video Store. Baird, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Sam. And I guess I should start. I said 2010. I actually don't know how how we like talk about what year a movie came out because this this debuted at TIFF, uh, the Toronto Film Festival, in 2009. But its U.S. debut uh, like release was in July of 2010. So I called it a 2010 movie. I'm not sure how. Uh, how that gets figured? Yeah, I, I, actually, there's there's very little consistency on that, Sam. I, I I tend to use the U.S. release date as well. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Do you know, in terms of not that this is the most important thing, but in terms of awards, how that works? Like, if it premieres at a festival in 2009, would it have been in the 2009 Oscars, or would it? Have yeah, been the- yeah, that's usually the way it works. As you, and as you know, Hollywood often, you know, opens what are essentially. Uh, Let's say, let's take take that year. You know, Hollywood will essentially open a film for a week in Los Angeles at the end of December of 2009, so it can qualify for the. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, to get started with, let's just go to our 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 usual kickoff question. What is your history with this film? Is this something you were aware of when it came out? Is this something when you first saw it that you knew what it was about, or is this something that just sort of occurred? Yeah, you know, that that's a really good question. And I'm trying to remember, I certainly know that I didn't see it in the theater. Um, hard to know. I it must have been one of those films where because it was Duval or whatever that I kind of ran across a mention of it. Um, and uh, so I, I first watched it on DVD and I've shown it to other people on, on DVD since then. So. Yeah. yeah uh, it, do you know when you saw it? Was it something you were you like knew what it was going to be about or? Yeah, I think that's right. I, th- I think I had some sense of the theme. I know, I know that I, um, I know that I showed it in my church back in 2014. Um, so I, I, but I would have seen it sometime or a year or two before that. Okay, because um, because one of the great things you did last week is you started to talk about this movie and then you stopped yourself because <laughs> I didn't know where this was going to go and this movie surprised me a number of times and in a number of different ways, which I. I tend to find delightful, which, which really made this uh, uh, viewing experience great. Um, and we'll get into some of that. Uh, what's your history? This is a movie that um, I think what, and you even mentioned, <clears throat> mentioned this, what draws us maybe to watch a movie like this is some of the people in it. So there are, there are at least three people that we have, and maybe more, sort of long movie relationships with. You have Robert Duvall, you have Sissy Spacek, you have Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a, for any or all of those, like, what is your connection with them? What comes to mind when you think of them as actors? Yeah. Um, Duval for me would probably be apocalypse now. Um, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Uh, Sissy Spacek is definitely one of her earlier films, uh, 1973 film, the Terrence Malick, uh, Badlands, Terrence Malick's first film. Uh, I'm old enough to have seen that when it came out, uh, with her and uh, Martin Sheen. Uh, and then, you know, Bill Murray, of course, from my generation to Saturday Night Live um, before he started started making films. And then, of course, probably for me, Bill, Bill Murray. I mean, there's a number of Bill Murray films that I that I love um, or at least I like. But certainly uh, Groundhog Day is a big one for me. But then a, a relatively recent film of his, well, four or five years ago, St. Vincent. Um, I, I, one of the things I like about Murray is I think he. He moves easily between dramatic and comic roles, although even in a dramatic role, he's never quite free of being comic. 
Um, and you get that very much in, uh, in, in get low. That was actually one of the surprises for me is I knew he was going to be in this and I kept waiting for him to show up. And then because of the tone of the movie early, I was like, Oh, are they not going to let Bill Murray be Bill Murray? And it turns out the first time you see him, you're like, Oh no, no, he's going to be, he's going to be in a serious movie playing a role that makes sense in the movie, but still not divorced from some of the things I would expect from from Bill Murray. Yeah, he, he he has that edge that that's so typical of Bill Murray. It's the Phil the Weatherman edge, right? Like uh, <laughs> when he talks about how he likes Chicago, people knew how to die in Chicago. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the the line and the delivery is just is just classic Bill Murray. Or the, when when uh, when when he and um, when when he and the young guy drive up to uh, to Felix's shack, right, and he tells him it's time for him to get out there and be the salesman. Uh, right. buddy you know you that, that that's all bill murray but but it does work within the tone of the film i think yeah and i think it's i think it's it uh it may it, it elevates the film because i if you were just to describe this and watch the first maybe five minutes of the movie it feels like it's going to be heavy it yeah. feels like it's, and 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 what what struck me about it is that actually was quite uh it Light is not the right word, but there was sort of a light t- touch about some of it uh, as you go through that. It, this could have felt more punishing to watch, which I got to say, when it first started, I wasn't excited. And then uh, there were a number of things, even, for example, when Felix gets his hair and beard cut, <laughs> that made me feel so much better because I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be this like movie about this like crotchety old guy in the woods. Like it's going to be this movie's doing something more than that. Because when it first starts, it it's kind of telegraphing potentially. That's what this is going to be, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it definitely is more. Yeah, it's kind of. I hadn't thought about this connection, Sam, but it, it's kind of Lars and the Real Girlish in the sense that um, it 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 manages to achieve a really interesting balance uh, between being really heavy and serious and being uh, almost comical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, that's one of the things I like about this. And I, I like films. I think I've said this in the past. I like films that have the ability to kind of, um, I don't know if you want to call it blending genres or teetering between genres or just, like I said, just maintaining a very delicate balance of, of tone. Yeah. I mean, if, if I think about my history with these, uh, with, with some of these actors, uh, you know, I'm not old enough to have Saturday Night Live, Bill Murray in the moment. These are things I've seen, you know, retroactively. So like my first introduction to Bill Murray is probably like Ghostbusters, Bill Murray, mm-hmm. um, because that's what that was like. I was probably seven or eight years old when that came out. So like that was that's very burned into my head. I love Bill Murray in uh, in Wes Anderson movies like yeah. uh, like Rushmore, Bill Murray, oh, yeah. things like that yeah. are um, for and uh, for Duvall. Um, Apocalypse Now is one of my favorite movies. So he has such a small part in there, but it is mm-hmm. it is something that sticks with you. And actually, this week um, for for the first time, my wife and son and I it was the first time for my son. I should say we watched uh, The Godfather. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 Tom Hagen is my favorite of the uh, the children in that movie. He's you know an adopted son to the Corleone family, but I, I find Tom Hagen to be um, just magnetic and interesting uh, in that movie. So, so that's 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 sort of where I where I begin with Duval. What struck me as interesting about this movie, um, and I was disappointed that I when I started to read reviews, other people brought this up because I thought this was going to like an original insight of mine, but um, the movie starts with, you know, you see this very old Robert Duvall 
in the woods and there are these kids sneaking up to kind of take a look at him. And there's all these sort of almost like ghost stories about him throughout the town. And I immediately thought of Robert Duvall's, Robert Duvall's first film role, which is playing Boo Radley in To Kill a Mockingbird in 1962. And I thought, oh, how cool is that? And I was so excited that I made that connection. And then I started to, I, I did a Google search for Get Low, to kill a mockingbird and i realized oh lots of people are seeing that but but it was like it was this it was actually really interesting and there definitely are connections between some of the themes of to kill a mockingbird and some of the themes of this in terms of what we think we know about somebody and what happens when we take some time to to really learn about them a little bit more yeah, and, and two other uh, Duval films that I think align nicely with Get Low are both films I thought about watching with you as well. And one would be Tender Mercies. I uh, love that movie. That made with Bruce Beresford. And then the film that he himself, um, I, I don't know if he wrote it or only wrote it or directed it, but The Apostle, um, which is um, a really fine film. And I, I think that Duval personally has some have some actual uh, con personal convictions that went into that into that film, but that's a that's a really interesting film about struggling with faith. Um, one of the things that I loved about the construction of this movie, we'll get into some. I want to get into some of the sort of religious aspects of it as well. Uh, and and I think some movies are uh, maybe they're afraid to do this too much, or I just wish there were more stories like this where they indicate. And they point to a larger world and a larger set of stories that they don't tell you. And sometimes they don't tell you at all. And sometimes they eventually will uncover pieces of that. Um, and this movie that you start with Felix really as this kind of, you know, local legend or ghost story. And people will, he keeps asking people to tell, tell the stories you've heard about me. And as a viewer, I'm like, yes, please tell the stories because he's not talking you know, and, and someone will say something like, I heard you killed a couple people and I heard, and, and you're trying to piece it together. I love things like that. And mm -hmm. um, I, I, I'm trying to, th I, I'm blanking on examples of movies where sometimes they don't even, um, I feel like in, okay, I, and, and this is a movie I have, I only saw once. So maybe I, maybe actually there is more reveal, but I feel like in the movie Sling Blade um, mm -hmm. from the mid nineties, that mm -hmm. there are definitely comments that the Billy Bob Thornton character makes about his past or about his parents. And they don't fully, they don't like explain it, but it's like, Oh, this points to this larger, richer experience that is shaping this character, but they're going to withhold that from me. So I mm -hmm. get to think about that. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the, some of the darkness around the edges, you know, some of the places where I think, David Lynch movies just dive into and explore. I love when movies also will will just indicate that those things are there and that they're very very much impacting what's happening here. And this movie <clears throat> um, has a lot of that because we only learned this one part of of Felix's story, and it feels like I I got to the end and I sort of wish I could have heard more people talk about <laughs> him. Yeah, because the, the the funeral, at least what we see, the funeral doesn't really unfold the way he's planned. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, we don't hear people come up and tell stories, and uh, whether they didn't or whether they just chose not to show that, I think is probably more the latter. But um, to, I'm glad you mentioned that, Sam, because that to me is one of the themes of this film that I didn't see any of the critics picking up on, which is the power of storytelling, the nature of storytelling, the necessity of storytelling. Um, you know, there's a point early on in the film where um, uh, the Duval, where Felix says something like, you know, people just make up these stories for things they don't, about things they don't understand. 
Um, and the suggestion is that that's why they make up stories about him. It's also the suggestion is that's why they make up stories about heaven. Um, mm -hmm. so, so, and of course, he's got a story. So he's got a story to tell. Uh, so the idea of why we construct stories, why we share stories, what purpose stories serve, to me, that's a really huge part of the film. And it's why I like the fact that, as you said, I think it's good that they leave the stories about Felix kind of up to our imagination because mm -hmm. um, we get enough that we can then kind of fill in the rest. And he does enough that we can maybe start to wonder about that. Maybe he did kill a man. Well, we know we, we, we ultimately end up knowing what he did, but we also see his capacity for violence mm -hmm. uh, when he's attacked by Carl, you know, in, in town. Although actually he was responding to Carl's, um, uh, Carl's throwing the rocket at, at Gracie. I mean, that's really right. his mule is what it is. So, yeah. Well, and, and what's interesting is when he first comes to um, comes to town in the movie and starts to talk about this funeral and this funeral party, because we don't know much about him, uh, it definitely has this feeling of, is does he want to do this, not, not to clear the air about things, but to settle scores? <laughs> I mean, like, mm -hmm. that was definitely, and, 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 you know, and maybe that was his intention, because it was... What's what's hard because you don't always get inside of his head and he doesn't he answers questions with the fewest words possible, you know, that we don't actually know. Did he have how much of a internal arc or uh, or not how much what type of internal arc is he on even over the course of this film? How much does the nature of that uh, funeral party change over the course of from the first time he proposes it? Tell what we see at the end, because at the end, we don't see that at all as a kind of score settling, although it's, it feels like it, it feels like a challenge to come say those things to my face, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of that. And, 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 and maybe, maybe there's a hint of let me explain, but also like are kind of, are you brave enough to say the things you, you, you say about me or to say that to me in yeah. a kind of way. So, so I, I, uh, I think that's really interesting. I'm also curious just, you know, as somebody who's interested in this sort of notion of, storytelling that's at the the core of a lot of literature uh what do you think of the the idea of the uh the funeral party you know the living funeral party because that i mean that's a concept that i that uh is pretty foreign to us a funeral is not but but this idea is pretty foreign to us uh, but it is sort of weird that how many times have you been at a funeral or maybe more appropriately uh, a wake or the events around a funeral where you have the thought, or sometimes somebody even expresses it out loud. Oh, I wish they were here to hear this. Yeah, yeah. So you know, like think about a eulogy. I mean, why you know, no, the, the dead can't hear the eulogy, right? Um, I mean, I, I think the closest thing we have to a funeral party is probably when we uh, have retirement parties, right? And that's right. people get up and, uh, but you know, why why not why not say that when the person can still know why they were why they were valued. So it's a, and of course, as you probably, as you know, as you know, this is based on a historical event. So just like the straight story, which also featured one of our great old actors, um, this is based on an actual 1938 hermit. His name was Felix, who actually did throw a funeral party for himself, and uh, he wanted to hear what people had to say about him. So, yeah. Uh, another another thing in terms of the uh, the sort of slow reveal of secrets that I loved about this movie was. It seems to be at first again. It, it seems to be telegraphing that the love story at the core of this, the unrequited love story, is going to be between uh, Felix and Maddie. Mm. Like, like it it does everything to tell you that. And then there's the scene where she's at his house, and you realize 
she sees this she sees this picture and you're like okay what's that about and all and all of a sudden this sort of slowly comes out that and one my favorite line of the movie is when she asks um how long did this go on and his his answer is it it still is you know and it's like wow that's and it, it, it because that was one of those where i'm like oh this isn't the story i thought i was watching and i feel like there's so many um little subtle turns in this movie where they lead you down a path only to say maybe maybe it's not what you think which is what a lot of this movie's about maybe the stories you've heard aren't the they're not it's not that they're not true but it but they're not what you think right exactly. that, there's, that there's that there's something else there um you've talked a little bit about reviews that I, I guess I, I want I want to read um the end of the Roger Ebert review, which I mm-hmm. which I found very interesting. Um mm-hmm. I would argue this probably says more about where Ebert was at in his life than about the movie. Mm-hmm. So uh Ebert gives it three stars out of four. Uh, it's a pretty glowing review. He talks a lot about Murray, a lot about Duval, especially about Duval and how this is such a great thing for Duval towards the you know, later part of his career and how he can elevate, he can elevate these scenes and the speech at the end. Um, and here's how, here's the paragraph that Ebert ends with. And, and I'm wondering if this is what you're talking about a little bit. And I'd like to get into this because this, we can get into the meanings of this movie a little bit more. He says, uh, all of this is just plain enjoyable. I liked it, but please don't make me say it's deeply moving or redemptive or uplifting. It's a genre piece for character actors is what it is. And it's an honorable thing for it to be. Perhaps Robert Duvall is the only man alive who could make his big speech here sound like the truth and sincere, but he does. Um, Which I found just very interesting because I thought this is this. uh, I'm not surprised. This is a movie that you showed at church and I read your discussion questions for it. I'm like, yeah, this is, this seems like there's so much you can, if you wanted to, to dig into again we talked about movies that teach well this feels like a movie that teaches well in a discussion kind of way like there's so many things you could so many directions you could go with this and even reading you had uh i don't know six seven eight questions on there i mean i read those and thought those are great questions and then i thought i could think of 15 other questions off the top of my head that would be equally as good to talk about with this um so it was it was interesting and and so this reads to me as you know ebert is maybe exhausted with a kind of with having to make cases about movies or people feeling this or that. And he just sort of wants it to be what he sees it as, you know, like this is, this is an entertainment. It's the, uh, it's the second week in a row. I've been disappointed with an Ebert review because I was also unhappy with uh, how he handled of gods and men as well. And I don't, you know, maybe this is, maybe this Sam is part of what happens when one has become, kind of a custom throughout one's career in Christian higher education of um, performing that act that we call the integration of faith and learning uh, or, you know, where, I mean, I, I, I'm always interested in um, the spiritual implications of any imaginative work that I engage, whether it's literature or film or whatever. And I guess, I guess that adds a layer to me of, of what I'm looking for in a work. And I, I don't think it's eisegesis. I don't think it's reading something into a work, but I think it's seeing something in a work that has value um, for me because of my particular commitments that may not make may not ring so true to um, an audience that isn't coming from that same direction. So 
you know, Ebert along that, and, and there, there were other reviews that were even more dismissive of the movie in the sense that they said, well, it's formulaic, it's kind of sentimental, and it's leading up to the big reveal, which isn't such a big deal after all. Um, so I, I, I guess if I didn't care about the notion of sin, redemption, forgiveness, confession, if, if I didn't think that those are realities and that they're profoundly important in, in a person's life, Maybe I would be. Maybe I would also hold the film at that kind of distance and say, "Yeah, you know, it's fulfilling some generic expectations," um, which I think is a, is a misreading of, of the film. So I I feel like a lot of those reviews were um, they were kind of condescending. It's like, yeah, it's it's a good film in a sense. It's got three good performances, but it's not a very interesting story um, or a significant story. And I just I thought that was a terrible misreading of the film or a, a discounting of the film because the critics were not really taking uh, what I see as, as the more deeply uh, uh, spiritual themes of the film as seriously as as uh, as I did, I guess. Yeah, and, and I don't think, it doesn't feel to me like a movie where you have to have a particular uh, religious point of view to find meaning. I mean, you could, uh, you could watch this movie and say, you know, even if you don't think there's anything after this life, you could still think that this sort of reckoning with the choices you make in life and the, the ramifications of the, the effects of those things um, on, and, and uh, on the future choices you make and on what your life looks like and on what your life means. You don't have to have a, I mean, there, there's only this sort of the one moment at the end, um, and you can even interpret that the way you want, where everybody drives away and you see sort of the, the, and I feel like they 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 were restrained with that, you mm -hmm. know, where you see kind of the ghostly figure coming up of of um, uh, what's her name, Mary, right, Mary, yeah, you know, like like uh, that's the only part where where you you get like a explicit spiritual view that mm -hmm. needs to be reckoned with you know but even that you could say well this is this is a projection in his mind of this you know kind of coming to terms with things too so um yeah i i, I i'm really curious to hear uh about the discussions that you had when you showed this in church um, i'm curious like did this to me this movie like i said i think it it teaches well and discusses well did you what kind of discussion did you get out of this movie yeah, it's been a while, so uh, I got to cast my mind back about six years. But the um, we actually watched the film as part of a. Uh, it was during the season of Lent, so I'm in a I'm in a liturgical church. I'm in an Episcopal church, and so um, we're tuned very much into uh, formal, you know, some some of the rituals of the ch of the church. So talking about things like. Um, you know, asking asking for forgiveness, uh, notions of of, of repentance, uh, especially talking about it in the season of Lent, was uh, a particularly kind of timely uh, timely conversation. And and you know, I I I'm trying to remember what the answers were to this question, but I I did ask because the the group was a bunch of folks, probably mostly my age or a little, a little bit older. And um, one of the questions I asked them was there. I found a quote somewhere where Aaron Schneider, who directed uh, the film said that he was moved by the idea that a profound loss early on in life can affect who we are and how we live our lives. 
Uh, and because I had a bunch of kind of older folks in, in, in the group, that, that was a question that resonated particularly deeply with people. Uh, the idea that you, uh, that something that you lose or something you do early on in your life can kind of affect the, uh, in his case, the next, the next 40 years. That certainly resonated. And certainly the idea of, um, the importance of being able to tell your story and, and, and confess that was, that was also resonated a lot as well. Yeah, I would be curious to hear, and I, <clears throat> I'm sure I could dig around and find this to hear, like uh, Catholic thinkers talk about this because this is so deeply rooted. Even though this, there's this is definitely not from a Catholic perspective. The religious figures you see there are uh, generically Protestant in some way. I'm not sure what I don't. Maybe they say what they what they are. I don't remember what the churches were, but um, there is this notion, and and whenever I teach on. Um, on the sacrament of confession in in our like Western Civ course when we're talking about um, medieval spirituality, and this is true, you know, to this day in the Catholic Church, that when we think about uh, the effects of sin, uh, you know, for for medieval folks, for, for in in a Catholic view, sin has a real uh, a real impact and a real meaning, and 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 it's it impacts both the relationship with God, sort of the vertical relationship. But then it also impacts the world around us. It impacts the other people, right? And and this is about reckoning with this. In some ways, is about reckoning with that that horizontal component. You know, like like what are the effects that this has on uh, someone like Maddie on this community, things like this. And Felix is unsure about that vertical component to a kind of degree. I mean, he um, I I can't remember the line. I think it might have even been in the. Um, the questions that you had written for that discussion, but something about like asking forgiveness of God. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't do anything to God or something like that. Like there is this, this sense of like, he's not sure that he needs to reckon with that, but he definitely needs to reckon with this world. And I think yeah, that's yeah. an important component of this. Yeah. It's when he's at Maddie's grave and I mean, I mean, Mary Lee's grave. And he says, yeah, they, they keep telling me that I should ask Jesus for forgiveness, but I haven't done anything to him. Um, you know, she's the one he needs to ask for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the reasons why he can't, that's one of the reasons why he can't do that because he doesn't know who to confess to. Um, he, he, because in his mind, he hasn't done anything to anybody to whom he can speak because the one that he's, that he's wounded is the one that who is dead. Um, but, but, but a couple of things I want to follow up on Sam, you know, one is that you know, there's this notion in, in the book of James, right? Even if you're not in a, say, a, a Catholic church or a tradition of auricular confession, you know, the book of James does tell us that we should confess to one another in order that we may be healed. Um, the, other, the other thing I would say about that horizontal dimension of sin is there's a great, a great quote in uh, one of my favorite novels, Shisako Endo Silence, where the priest in that novel says, um, thinks to himself, sin is not what I usually thought it to be. It's not to steal and tell lies. Sin is for one person to walk brutally over the life of another and be quite oblivious of the wounds he's left behind. Um, so I think that that that's really what this that that that's what he's really Felix is really struggling with, this notion that he can see sin on the horizontal level very clearly, but he can't see mm. how it connects to forgiveness on the vertical level. You know, so so in that early conversation he ha he has um, with a uh, Reverend Horton, right? Um, and he's told you can't buy forgiveness; it's free, but you do have to ask for it. Um, but Felix doesn't see 
how asking God for forgiveness connects to what he's done to Mary Lee and, and by extension, what he's done to Maddie and other, other folks. Um, are there other things you want to dig into in, in, as we, uh, as we think about this movie? Um, yeah, I think, you know, uh, one, one of the things that I, that, that I like to think a, a little bit about is, um, the notion that, um, Felix has, that the Felix's penance is ultimately not adequate. Um, you know, he, he kind of almost prides himself on this idea. And I think this is when he is uh, talking to Charlie, right? Um, he, he almost prides himself on the notion that he has constructed a jail for himself, that he has been punishing himself for 40 years. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, a Catholic versus a kind of versus a Protestant view. And certainly, you know, one of the things that he's running up against is the limits of penance. I'm not, I'm not sure that, uh, the film is arguing that penance isn't a good thing uh, or even a necessary thing, but penance is not, is not in itself adequate, you know, and, and when Charlie steps into the house, right, he looks around and says, you know, pretty, pretty nice jail you've got here. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I think there's this notion that um, penance, penance need, in order for penance to be effective, it needs to lead to some kind of confession. Uh, right. Well, and what's interesting is it, if we're paying attention to what is said in that conversation, um, the 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 Reverend is the only one. Uh, Charlie is the only one who knows the story, right? So he has, to a degree, confessed the story to him and and received a penance from him that he doesn't do. Because what does Charlie say? He says, "Have you told her yet?" Yeah. So, so, you know, it, and it's this idea of like, um, you know, what, what interpretation of like, 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 like sin leads to this separation, right? So his, the penance he gives himself is further separation right. where the penance he's given that grows out of his, the one time he really confesses this is not, you need to separate, but you actually need to connect. You need right. to go tell her, you know, and, and that's where I think like, what we see in him talking at the funeral party is him actually following through on the penance that, that mm -hmm. he was given potentially 40 years ago. And, yep. and, and he's like, well, that's the one thing I won't do. And like, that's the, um, I mean, that's the thing you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to just say, yeah, I'm going to pick the penance that I want to do. It's like, well, that's not how it works. If we're thinking about, you know, what is, what is the power of these penitential acts? It's not, I'm going to choose to do this to make up for that because to a, to a degree he's willing to confess it to himself. But as you point out, we're not called to, to like uh, confess our sins to ourselves. We're right. called, to, you know, and, and so, so I actually think that's, I think that's, that's really, really interesting. Uh, and, and, and I, yeah. And I, and I think in the, in that connection, uh, kind of a, kind of a secular perspective on this would be um, in uh, his review of the film, Anthony lean in the New Yorker, um, quotes uh, Emerson, uh, Emerson's essay, Society and Solitude. And uh, Emerson says in that essay, a man must be clothed with society or he shall feel a certain bareness and poverty. Uh, and Lane says that the film is an act of obeisance to that decree. So I think there's also the sense that the 40 years of exile uh, for, for, for Felix have also been difficult for him because 
Um, he actually isn't necessarily by nature an unsociable person. I think that's mm -hmm. part of it. I think that's part of the penance that he's doing. I, 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 I love the scene when he invites Buddy in to eat rabbit with him. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and it's just, you know, I mean, this is not a guy who's incapable of socializing. Um, so I think that's, that's part of what he's, what, that's part of what he's done in a sense, kind of to himself. Yeah. Yeah. Another one of those um, little things that gets hinted at uh, twice in the movie. Um, and, and it, it speaks to also like, what happens when we, you know, separate ourselves is, is we also separate the ability to use the, uh, not to over-spiritualize this, but to use the gifts that God has given us, right? Because twice in the movie, uh, he is complimented for something that he's built, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And there's a word that gets used both times and it's yeah. magic. magic. It's like, yeah, it's like, like this table, like what holds this table? I was half expecting the camera at some point to move under the table and just see a levitating table. Like I was ready for that. I was at the, so based on some of the movies you've, you've shown, I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready for anything. And, but it is, but, but I do sort of look back and think, man, for 40 years, he's, you know, uh, put a, put a, a barrel over that light, right? Like he hasn't shared this. He hasn't shared himself, but he hasn't also shared his, uh, his talent. And you know, we don't get to see a lot of the church that he built but we hear a lot about it and what we do see is pretty beautiful and magnificent. And you think for 40 years, he's denied that as well. And, and, and the, and the last thing he makes is that beautiful coffin for himself. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. 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 Well, I, I also, uh, one, one uh, last thought I'll, I'll say about this movie is um, this movie also made me think of um, uh, one of the first movies we watched uh, Babette's feast also about sort of somebody towards the end of their life, looking back on the choices they've made and also realizing to a certain degree, it's still not too late. It's right. still like, 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 like there isn't a statute of limitations on confession and redemption. Um, you know, which, which leads me to say I was right when I put um, Babette's feast on my list of five movies that I love. Like it is uh, it's, 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 I think it just, it's, it's in conversation with all of these things. Uh, and, uh, and I really, I actually really enjoyed thinking about, um, Felix's story as, you know, an, another version of kind of coming to terms with reckoning with choices and, but realizing that, you know, 40 years is not a lifetime either that, right. that, that, you know, and even if he only, we don't know how much longer he lives before he dies, but even if it's only a week, what a marvelous week that might have been for him, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's also uh, on, a, on a, a slightly uh, trivial note. It's also another one of our films set in the depression, mm -hmm. uh, along with "What Brother Where Art Thou" and Sullivan's Travels, and of course, actually bringing up Baby as well. Um, but I also thought about "Oh Brother Where Art Thou" because the clothing, the the clothing, the music is fairly significant in this film as well. We haven't talked about that. "My Blue Heaven" and the uh, the, the closing song is sung by Alison Krauss. Oh yeah, who of course sang down to the river in uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou? So, um, and it's also a song. I forget the title of it, but it's it's got a very very appropriate spiritual theme to it. So yeah, yeah. Wow, I this one was this one was. I, I I have to say, the first five minutes, I was really worried of what the <laughs> what the next hour forty five was going to be, and I it just kept turning in ways that I, that I really liked. And this is, this is one, um, I think I said this on our first episode. I look for movies that stick with me that I keep sort of thinking about and asking questions about, uh, this one definitely qualifies with that. Um, so 
I really, really uh, appreciate you recommending this. So what do you have for us next? Okay, well, I, I, I have held off for a while on this one, Sam, but I've, I've, I've got to indulge my, my Kubrick habit. Uh, and I and I got to go for something with a very very different tone and worldview, and it's time to do Doctor Strangelove. Um, oh, very nice. So I got I've only watched it a dozen times, so I got to get to my thirteenth. <laughs> oh, fantastic! I can't wait. Well, yeah. Barrett, thank you so much for uh, for recommending Get Low for having this conversation with us. Um, we will be back next week to talk about a movie that both you and I we already know we love this movie because we've both seen this uh, a number of times. The uh, the great Stanley Kubrick, uh, Peter Sellers, and George C. Scott, and all kinds of people involved in this movie, uh, Doctor Strangelove. Other than that, we will see you next week in the video store.